Hey guys, welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich Davenport. I'm Jen Davenport. And we are here to talk about the movie, the Netflix movie, I think? The Guilty, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Is it a Netflix Did movie? Did you know? What? Yeah, is this, this is a, ne- a Netflix. It is a Netflix movie, okay. It is Netflix. Did you know that this is a remake? I did. I, I found out about it as I was watching the movie. How'd you find out it was a remake while you're watching it? Jake Gyllenhaal called me. What? No, I, I, no, you I, have his phone number? No, he has mine. I oh. I used my phone. I used my little nah. computer thingy. I looked at it. I went on the IMDb and I looked. Oh, I don't like I don't like doing that unless I've seen the movie because I don't want to get spoiled. I don't care about spoilers, generally speaking. So I guess I mean, I didn't look at like the story. I just wanted to see, you know, who wrote the movie, who directed the movie. And it said it said that it had two writers and the second writer was the guy that wrote the original movie. And I was like, wait a minute. okay, so this is obviously a remake. So that's how it and Jake called me, too. So. (laughs) <laughs> me and jake were tight it's true so we always do the have you seen this movie before have you seen this before we watched it for this uh, this this review i have not and i actually hadn't heard of it either till you suggested this as one to watch interesting it's relatively new right i think it's a last year right 2021 2021 yep okay all right I know you saw the original Danish film, right? That was your, you're you're totally into the Danish (laughs) film scene, right? No, I had not. Now that movie is not that old either. I believe it was like a 2018, 2019 film. Yeah. So that one's pretty new also. Yeah. Just, just like American cinema, they are going to steal something from the Scandinavian and the Asian cinemas and remake it so that people don't have to read it. Apparently, you know me, I'd rather watch the original but I haven't seen the original, so I don't have anything to base an opinion on whether or not one is better than the other. So I'm going to judge this film strictly by its own merits. All right. Well, this film, the American version, was directed by Antoine Fuqua. Now, he is from Training Day, I believe. He yeah. is the director there. Amongst other things, yeah. he's he's. I, I really like him as a director. I think he's done some really cool stuff. I think he's done some really crappy stuff. He did that Magnificent Seven movie that was so good that you forgot that you saw it. I still have to watch that again because I don't remember seeing it like ever. Yeah. It does seem like a movie I'd watch, but I don't yeah, remember it. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's a very good, I think he's a very good director, so. Okay. Yeah. So this movie was written by Nick Pizzolatto. Okay. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal as Joe Baylor. And he's the main actor. There's a few other side actors, but we do have some voice acting going on here. We have Riley Q. Keo. Keo. We have Riley Keo, who plays Emily Lighton. Peter Sarsgaard plays Henry Fisher. We have Ethan Hawke as Sergeant Bill Miller. And let's see, Divine Joy Randolph plays CHP Dispatcher on here. And I think that's pretty much all I'm going to talk about because there's there's a few others in here, but that's kind of, we're, it's really focused around Jake Gyllenhaal and, and then just kind of a few other side people in the background. 
Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting setup because we've got a basically it's a one man show, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you've got other people involved, but it like you said centers on him it and he has to carry this movie. This is very much like buried with Ryan Reynolds or All Is Lost with oh god, what's his name? Robert Redford. All is mm-hmm. lost with Robert Redford. I mean, you've and got... it pretty much takes place all in one mm-hmm. spot. There's yeah. like two, three different rooms you're in, I think, in the whole movie. Right, right. But and you only we only like escape that little like, that nine one one dispatch area a couple of times, and it's it's this hazy like you could almost see Jake Gyllenhaal picturing this in his mind as he's listening to the phone call or phone conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of right. times where they, where you, where you cut to those other things. I thought that was really, I thought that was really ingenious, to, uh, an ingenious way of doing it. But I also feel like cutting away undercut the, the performance, Jake Gyllenhaal's performance a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I, I, and I'm not, and I, and I think that I think it's important to note that they did it for aesthetic reasons. I'm sure, because you know the film is static for too long. You're going to lose mainstream audiences for the most part. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so doing that makes sense from a from a narrative perspective, but from a performance perspective, I really wanted to just see his reaction and understand what was happening based on what he was doing, how he was reacting to it, you know? Sure. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So it basically Joe Baylor is, he is a disgraced cop, right? And he's working in the night shift at a 911 call center while he's waiting for a court hearing regarding an incident that they don't really mention until later, an incident that happened while he was on duty. So he answers a couple of low-key calls, uh, one from a dude who overdosed on something. What the hell was it? Like speed or something? And, uh, and another one from somebody else. He gets a call from a woman named Emily, and he very quickly starts to realize that she's been abducted. Mm-hmm. And so Joe starts to get details from the caller, and she reveals that the vehicle she's in is a white van. She doesn't have a license number, so California Highway Patrol can't can't locate her. Now, this film plays with perspectives a lot, right? It plays with like assumptions as well, mm-hmm. like a whole lot with assumptions. And we get to see they frame this whole thing around a California wildfire, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of times where they frame Joe up against like monitors and all you see is wildfire around him. So you can kind of see what's going on in his head. Right. And then they shorthand it for us with, he's got an upset stomach. He's got asthma, you know, like he's, he's got PTSD or something. And so that's the shorthand, right? He's got some anger issues as well. But Mm -hmm. framing it with those fires is obvious. There's something something burning away at him something eating at him something getting to him It'll yeah get i also later, so. i also kind of liked how they did give us those few other phone calls before the big phone call to kind of right. demonstrate that either he just has a short fuse or he's really bad at 
being a dispatcher or something because, or a combination of everything, because he's obviously saying things he should not be saying as a dispatcher and he's not really into the whole thing, but you could start seeing, he maybe has a little bit of a short fuse there, which kind of leads into stuff that comes about later, you know, when, when we keep progressing with the story here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that his, his anger issues really kind of play into the character because once you find out that he's actually a cop, he's not a dispatcher, he's a police officer. Mm -hmm. You start to wonder why is this police officer here? Right. And that mystery also unfolds at the same time as the abduction mystery. Right. Cause we're getting little bits and pieces of, you know, good luck tomorrow. You know, there's definitely some strife going on with him and his wife or ex-wife, yeah. or I, I wasn't sure if they're still married or not married. I they seem sure, estranged. But... They seem estranged. Yeah. Right. Because he does at one point say that he expects her to be at the trial because it's yeah. good to have the wife there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so that they weren't really just outright telling us what was happening, but you're starting to pick up the pieces and they're mm-hmm. allowing us to try and com- put the dots together ourselves. Right. Yeah, I really admire this picture for that reason. It, they they're not they're not just straight up telling us what's going on. They're allowing us the room to interact with the film on a on a, you know, on a mental level, right? We're mm-hmm. we're allowed to mm-hmm. we're allowed to say, "Oh, he's He's obviously got anger issues. Oh, he's, you know, and all of this stuff leads us to putting him in a, in a, in a perspective, in a, in a, um, in a position of authority also helps to solidify the big twist at the end of this movie or towards the end of the movie, right? Him being a police officer, somebody that you're supposed to be able to trust, somebody that you're supposed to be able to rely on to know what's right and what's wrong. The twist at the end of this movie relies heavily on that. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's in the original film. If it is, kudos to that writer. Kudos to the guy that adapted it for American audiences. They because they do it. They do a good job with that here. I think so. So he loses connection with Emily, and he uses her cell phone to her cell phone number to track down her address. Calls her home number, and he speaks with her daughter Abby, who tells her that he tells Joe, not her. Excuse me. He tells Joe that her mom left the house with her dad, Henry. And she gives Joe Henry's phone number and he uses that to find Henry's license plate. So he's doing all this great detective work while Mm -hmm. we're watching and while he's talking to Abby and kind of talking her through all this stuff. He puts her on hold. He calls California Highway Patrol, tells them the license plate, has them, you know, try and pull them over or whatever. But they don't have the resources, which again, this is another thing that they putting it against these these wildfires gives us is this ability to say the cops can't be there. It's basically just this cop and like whatever resources he can strap, he can cobble together to make this investigation happen. Right. Uh, Then he calls Mm -hmm. his, he calls his friend and partner, Rick. And he wants, he wants Rick to break into Henry's house while this is going on. So right there, that part where he's saying, kick in the door, all that stuff. That I feel like starts playing even more into, okay, so he's got anger issues and he's willing to go outside the Mm -hmm. law to get to an answer. So this must be what this court thing is about tomorrow. This is where I start thinking, okay, this is this. I 
still love the whole piecing together this part with Emily though, too, because I think Jake Gyllenhaal does a good job and and the writers too, of leading us along. So we feel like we're maybe solving this along with him. You know, we're getting the little pieces of information and like, oh, this is an abduction, you know, and later find out other things. And it's, it's just really great. I love the storytelling in here. Right. Right. After he's talked to Rick, he gets a call back from Abby because he told, he told Abby early on, Hey, you call here, you call 911, you ask for me, my name's Joe, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, he gets a call from her and the police are at the door. He sent people there to basically Mm -hmm. make sure she was safe. Right. So Joe tells her to let him in and the responding officers take the phone from her and they start to search the apartment. So you can kind of hear as this is all going on, they find Oliver, who is Abby's brother, he's unresponsive and he's covered in blood. Right. So now they've all, now they've played into mom left with Henry, the baby's covered in blood. The mm-hmm. woman's been abducted. The guy's violent, right? There's mm-hmm. obviously a, a five alarm fire going on here, right? That again, mm-hmm. five alarm fire going on around them as this is happening, right? So, right. so pr- really effective in pushing those stakes even higher, right? Like giving us this sense of emergency, sense of of like immediacy to we have to find them now right we have to find emily to save her life because her husband what's her husband's name henry henry yeah yeah so obviously it appears henry killed oliver probably Mm -hmm. in a fit of rage and kidnapped mom right you know and so what's he going to do to mom now right yeah. And, right. and in that, fact, that's where we're at. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, once, once the, once the officer on Abby's phone hangs up, Joe gets a call from Emily and he tells her like, cause he knows now he's like, all right, you're, you're in immediate danger. Right. Put your seatbelt on. She puts her seatbelt on, pull the handbrake. They're going they're as they're driving down the interstate. Right. He tells her to pull the handbrake. So she does that, but it doesn't actually like crash the vehicle. But so Henry, the dad, grabs Emily and puts her in the back of the van, and she tells Joe that she thought that Oliver had snakes in his stomach, so she took them out. That moment was fantastic. It and, was like, yeah. <gasps> yeah. oh my gosh. You know, and you get that same feeling right along with yeah. Joe Baylor, you know? That the look on his face is amazing like just the acting in his eyes tells you everything it it mirrors everything that you're feeling at that time because Mm -hmm. all the facts lined up and i think this is this is an effective commentary about police work in this country right like you have all these facts but it doesn't tell the whole story right? right all you have is what you can go on and if you're acting on that you might be acting on the wrong thing you have to get the whole story before you right. can, you know, before you act. But that moment, that turn, like you said, just amazing. Really, really good. It, it takes it takes the rug right out from underneath you. It takes the mm-hmm. wind out of your out of your sails. Whatever, you, however you want to say, bake your noodle, like my like my buddy Paul likes to say. And it does the same thing for Joe, and he's not the same after this. At this point, he is realizing that he has made a terrible mistake. 
a terrible mistake, right? While this is all going on, Rick has broken into Henry's apartment and he finds documents for a psychiatric facility in San Bernardino and Jake Gyllenhaal, Joe is able to trace the call from Emily and see that they're turning up to, they're, they're heading towards a, a, they're heading towards San Bernardino and they find, he finds a, a medical facility there. So he gets another call from Emily. They're on a, she's on a freeway overpass at this point, right? She's, they, they've stopped. They had stopped at the hospital. They were, they were going to, they were going to take him in. He convinces her, he, Joe convinces her to take a brick that's in the back of the van and smash, mm-hmm. smash Henry on the head. Right. Cause he, at that tells, point, yeah. he still didn't know about the snakes, right? This that is before happened before she, the yeah, snakes. Yeah. this is before she tells him about the snakes. So Henry's out for the count. Meanwhile, we go back to Rick. He tells him that he finds the psychiatric stuff. He sees that mm-hmm. the car is stopped right next to the psychiatric thing. He starts to piece things together. Henry was taking the his wife to the psychiatric institute. He was taking mm-hmm. her to the mental hospital. And when he gets the call back from Emily and she, she says she's on an overpass and she, it's obvious she's getting ready to like kill herself, right? Well, yeah, because she says she's going to go be with Oliver. She's going to go be with Oliver, right? She repeats that a couple of times, mm-hmm. but it, it, and it, and the film has another twist left for us too, right? We get to, before we get to that though, we get to learn what Joe's situation is. He basically uses his own situation to try and talk down, talk her down from the, from the ledge, right? Telling her that he killed a 19 year old kid who hurt somebody else. And he says, I was angry at her and I killed them because I could. And then she tells him she's going to be with Oliver again. And he thinks that that means that she's going to jump. So she hangs Mm -hmm. up and, but then he gets word from the California highway patrol that they've got her in custody and she's fine. And the other, and while, while he's finding that out, there's another 911 operator who comes in and says, Hey, they wanted to, they wanted me to tell you that Oliver is fine or he's in the ICU or something like that. He's in ICU. Yep. So Oliver is not dead. He was mortally wounded, but they're, they're tending to him now. Joe Mm -hmm. gets all work like upset and he, you know, goes to the bathroom. He pukes, he calls Rick and he says, I need you to go. I need you to tell the truth tomorrow. Don't use the prepared statement that we fixed that we did for like me defending myself. I need to, I need to pay the price for what I've done. And then he calls a reporter with the Los Angeles times and tells her that he's going to plead guilty. This is someone who's called him a few times throughout the entire movie that kind of, that kind of helps set up that there's something going on. Something big is going on because the press is involved. Right. So and that's it. The movie ends with like a, like a voiceover of a newscast saying, you know, that he, he pleads guilty and yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, he, this movie really strikes me as this, this kind of scathing send up of, of police work in America. And I know I mentioned that before, but like toxic masculinity and like unchecked anger and feeling like the law is in your own hands. He's kind of a broken person, 
right? Mm-hmm. But we have broken people saving broken people, which is an interesting take on the police. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, LA 911 Dispatch has like some of the fanciest bathrooms I've ever seen. <laughs> What's up with that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they needed to get cameras in there. So yeah. got to have nice ones. Yeah. But they had those nice like waterfall, fa- uh, waterfall like uh, faucets and stuff. I mean, it wasn't like, wasn't like you always see like those grimy, you know, yeah, I've been working the force for 16 years, you know, like, <laughs> you know if I can turn yeah. on the shitty faucet and oh, the water's still hot, you know. This yeah. is like waterfall. Oh, so gentle, you know. <laughs> so I I enjoyed the end of this with okay. basically him admitting and probably probably saying out loud for the very first time what he did, you know. Yeah. To try and save this woman's life. Yeah. And kind of come into terms with he's going to face the consequences, you know. I mean, it's for some reason in that moment decides what he's trying to do or get away with what he was not really okay with. Yeah. It was, it was a nice twist. It was a nice way to tell that whole story. Uh, I did not see that coming Mm -hmm. that that's what it was going to be about. I, I really anticipated it being, you know, just maybe a misuse of force, but nothing like where he actually killed somebody type of thing. And they, they don't do it in a preachy way either. They're not like, you're supposed nope. to be a good cop, right? It's just... No, it's this, they just mention it and move on. Yeah, they mention it and move on. But it's also like, it stays with you. It stays with him the whole the whole film. You, I mean, and it's a short film. It's what, 90 minutes long, maybe? Mm-hmm. Well, and he keeps looking at pictures of his daughter. You know, right. I'm sure we don't know it. But, you know, looking back, it's like, well, obviously he's thinking... Am I going to see her again? If I go to jail, I'll never see her again. Yeah, Right. He's got court in the morning. He hasn't talked to his daughter or seen his daughter. Sounds like for a while. Yeah. If he goes and pleads guilty, he might be going right to jail and he might not see her for a while. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, this, this is the kind of movie that I would expect from like an A24 studio, something that would be more of a character study because that's what this is. This is very much a character study set into a, like a mystery movie, but it works really, really well actually. And (laughs) because, because, you know, a lot of times you think of a character study as being a little bit more of a, a reflective type of a film, you know, and this is a more of a reactive type of a film, but the reactions tell the story for this character. And I think Jake Gyllenhaal really knocked it out of the park. He did a fantastic job in this film. Yeah, I think so too. I yeah. Think he did too. yeah. So do you have any other notes about the movie or do we want to move to, if do you have, I, have trivia I do have a few trivia things, some do interesting I, me, filming information here. Let me introduce it for you here. Jennifer's trivia tidbits. All right. This movie was shot in just 11 days and it was shot in October of 2020 during kind of the height of some of the COVID pandemic stuff. Hmm. So what happened was a day before they were going to film, they said it happened on a Friday and they were going to start filming on Monday, but Anton Antoine Fuqua tested or no, he was exposed to COVID-19 and had to quarantine 
And in October of 2020, the quarantine period was 12 days, I guess. Okay. So he had to quarantine for 12 days, but their shooting schedule was 11 days. <laughs> and they said because they had these actors scheduled in for such a short period of time that if they had to postpone, they were going to have to basically start over because not everybody was going to be available for timing reasons and stuff. Sure. So what they did was they brought, they found a van with monitors and they parked it outside the soundstage and Antoine Fuqua directed from the van. Oh my God. So he had, who was watching this on monitors in this van. So they would talk on phones between takes. And when they were doing some stage changes, Jake would climb up a ladder on the stage wall and Antoine would get out of the van and they would talk. <sighs> over there. They, they, there was an interview that brought pictures and they showed pictures of each other doing this. So they were talking, keeping distance wow. to make sure nobody else got infected or make sure that if he was, did have COVID, he wasn't spreading it to anybody else. The other interesting thing was all of the actors that were on the phone yeah. that was done live via zoom. So he was actually talking to all these people via Zoom. And Jake said that they were all over the place. They Nobody was in area or local. He said there's people all across the country. And that's wow. how they filmed those parts. So it wasn't brought into a, a sound stage or sound studio or did any of the, that stuff. It was all through Zoom. Wow, that's that's really cool. What, what a great way to... It's interesting because COVID has changed a lot of the landscape of, of everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And here, you know, we, we have people working from home. Now we've got filmmakers working from home. <laughs> yeah. Or and from they the back of film, the van too. So. Right. In the back of the van. So they would film the shots in about 20 minute segments. So that way they could cue some of the background actors to move around. So it still had the feeling of being a real dispatch office, but pretty much everybody kind of had distance away. And you know, like I said, doing it through zoom. So that was a live take 20 minute take where he would talk to these people through zoom on the um, phone, you know, cause it sounds to me like a lot of times when they're talking on the phone, they're not actually talking to people and then they like piece it all together back in editing, but they right. were actually recording it all as they went this time. So. Wow. That's very cool. Is that it. That's all you have. I thought that was good stuff. That was good stuff. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought you had, I thought you had more. I thought you said, I thought you said you had some stuff. I had some stuff. That's some stuff. That's some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I, yeah, that was, that's interesting the way they did that. And you know, when you're, when you're shooting on one soundstage, you can get a movie done in 12 days <laughs> or 11 days or whatever. Right. Well, that's yeah. Cool. Especially if you're not bringing people in and out and you don't mm -hmm. have to, like I said, it seemed to me like there was maybe three or four different rooms shot in. So it's not like it was huge, you know, having to change a lot of that around or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. All right. So let's do our, let's do our thing. We've got our keep, we've got our rent, we've got our erase. Where do you put this flick, Jennifer? I think I would keep this movie. I enjoyed it. I intend to watch it again. It's definitely not in a race. I would say it's between rent and keep. I do recommend people to watch it and give it a shot. I think it's interesting. It's got a good story. It pulls you along. And hopefully if you are listening to this, you've watched it already because <laughs> yeah. otherwise, otherwise the whole 
like taking you along the story you're gonna lose if you already know what the ending is but right well um, the conceit of the show is reliant on people (laughs) having watched the movie yeah yeah but i i think i'm gonna keep this what about you okay i i thought about this for a while and part of me really wants to say you know what just rent this because once you know the twists you already know the twist right but then i started thinking about how this is very much a character study this is very much a showcase of what Jake Gyllenhaal can do as an actor. And I think it's worth a keep just for that, if for no other reason. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this in as a keep as well, because like I said, he's done it. He did a fantastic job with this movie. They use the word, they use the term tour de force a lot. So I'm not going to use it here, but I think this is one of those movies that you could probably put, like I'd said before, in that league with like all is lost with Robert Redford or buried with Ryan Reynolds, where there's one person and they're doing all the lifting themselves for the most part. And uh, that's what Jake Gyllenhaal does here. I know there were other people involved and I appreciate that their contributions as well, but he's mm-hmm. the only one who's on screen for the majority of this film. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. So what are we doing next? What's our next flick? All right, next week is The Suicide Squad. Oh, that one from 2016, huh? Oh, boy, I can't wait to talk no, about no, that. No. But what? We did that suicide. one already. We're doing the new one, the 2021, The Suicide Squad. Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, Suicide, The Suicide Squad. Here we go the again suicide with squad. The Suicide Squad, right? <laughs> Yeah. Didn't we just do the Batman? <laughs> we did talk about the Batman, but this is the Suicide Squad. Right. <laughs> so we will see you on the couch next week for that one. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to A View from the Couch. We value your feedback. Please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your preferred podcast listening app. You can reach us on Facebook by searching at A View from the Couch on Twitter at view underscore couch, or by emailing us at a view from the couch at yahoo.com. Thanks again for listening. Bye. See ya.